Be on the dugout, lay some up and we run out Step up to the place, swing away, or you get struck out Put you on the mound like you don't wanna face this Hit it so hard, you be running around the bases Do it for your teammates, do it for the fan Do it for your city, true ballers understand You gotta work together, you gotta find a way Put your body on the line and make that play Be on the dugout, lay some up and we run out Step up to the place, swing away, or you get struck out Put you on the mound like you don't wanna face this Hit it so hard, you be running around the bases Be on the dugout be on the dugout. Be on the dugout. Well, a Kyoto and welcome to Beyond the Dugout, episode number 30 here on the 5th of November. Great to have you along here with us, wherever you are across Aotearoa and the world. Fantastic having you along. Always appreciate it, that's for sure. I'm Jason Gubies, aka Chopper, and joining me as ever, sometimes a little loose around the strike zone. <laughs> Sometimes a little tight as DC Damien Collins. <laughs> Kia ora, my brother. Kia ora, everyone. Thanks for joining us for episode 30. Bring in another 10. Let's go. Racking them up, bud. Racking them up for sure. Of course, it is the week, the big week for the Atlanta Braves. Is it? Getting their what they win? <laughs> <laughs> first World Series win uh, since 1995. 95. Form two. What, was your, what year were you at? Yeah, 1995, <laughs> of course, <laughs> smartass, uh, of course, uh, two of our most recent uh, Indeed, guests here on Beyond the Dugout, Craig Wallace from Hutt Valley here, Travis Wilson from Crochet slash that, Tallahassee, Florida, uh, both big uh, Atlanta Braves fans, so congratulations to the Atlanta Braves, Absolutely. congratulations to Trav and Wally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Wally's already put up his post uh, explaining how important the team is for to him over the last 30 years. And of course, we all know Travis Wilson's story. We'll get to know a bit more in this episode. Um, and if anyone follows him on um, on Facebook, you saw a pretty special video this uh, week. Unfortunately, we won't get to talk about it in the episode. But um, yeah, it's a pretty cool moment he shared with his son going to the World Series. It is indeed. We, we'll talk a little bit about that in a moment, about what, uh, what it means to Trav. Atlanta Braves uh, organisation, but got to say, dude, four games to two in the World Series. They did it in stall. Shut out the Houston hit the garbage, <laughs> garbage can. Astros seven runs to nil, man. Take and that. Game six. What a way to win it! And their offense was produced up and down the lineup. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Hey, um, you, you, a lot of people they were hesitant. You've even mentioned that uh, the Astros had the goods to go all the way, if the if you will, in the World Series, but they didn't. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Uh, but yeah, good on you, Braves. On the back of a Solier, the designated player, sometimes right field with a home run today. Freddie Freeman got hot as they got to the back end of the postseason. The home run for him today as well. And the shortstop, he's been hot the last couple of days. Uh, Swanson, Dainsby Swanson. So congratulations there, man. When, when, when your team is on fire, yeah, good things happen. Oh, City will be almost on fire now as well. Atlanta, they'll be rocking, rocking for the next, next few days, I'm sure. They will be rocking. They will be rocking. Well, dude. Last week we had the hammer, Jackson White, we sure did. our first roving reporter all the way from uh, Christchurch. It was yes. great to have him on and get an insight what's going on there. Well, dude, this week we broke up, broke up another roving reporter all the way from Hooks Bay. How about it? I say it's Kane Lloyd Mooney. Kia ora, Kane. Kia ora, Kane. Kia ora, guys. How's it going? Real Very good, well. man. Real good. Hey, thanks for joining Beyond the Dugout as our uh, roving reporter for the season, dude. It's uh, awesome to like get a little insight to what's going on in the bay. 
Yeah, no, it's it's great. Thanks for the opportunity, Top. Uh, completely our, our privilege. Absolutely. Dude, one thing, um, I guess, uh, with the bay, dude, the weather is always pretty decent up there. You know, playing ball up there must be one of the you know, highlights for anyone. You're biased. Oh, yeah, as you, as you would know, Chop, as, <laughs> oh, the weather here is amazing. Um, and to play ball in, in Hawke's Bay is, oh, I mean, you can't get any better than that, really. Kane, you're a member of one of the top sides up there, Saints, uh, also an old club of mine when I was a uh, young fella, uh, and um, and in that Premier Men's competition up there, you've got a couple of new young blood teams in the in the competition. What does the competition look like this year? Yeah, um, well, we've got a new uh, new team up in the senior grade this year, which is Tamatea, a younger looking team, a um, few old faces, but younger people, um, and I'd to be honest, the competition probably couldn't be any better. Um, with them rolling in, we're doing um, double headers every week um, oh. just to get the competition flowing. Nice. And it's, oh, it's pretty good, mate. It's good S- to have a, a decent competition this year. Fantastic. So you've got the youngsters in there, Tamatea, uh, Stefford Boys, Jalcom Paul, they're all uh, supporting that young group coming through. And then you've also got Fast Pitch with Chub Tangaroa helping that young group come through as well, right? Yeah, correct. Um, fast pitch, I think they're going through a rebuild at the moment. Um, a few key players, a few older players from our club um, that have joined over to them. But um, younger players coming through through their club, and that's awesome to see. A long-time foe for you guys has been Marae Nui Pumas. How are they looking this season? Pumas are looking really well this year. They're looking sharp and plenty of players, which is good to see. Um, I know they've struggled over the last couple of years to sort of pull together the team, um, but to see them coming out every week and having the players is awesome. It really means a lot to the competition. Of course, the Aranui family right behind that one, as well as many other families in there. The new team on the block last year, Craig Waterhouse's Mets, how have they shaped Mets. back up for their second season? Yeah, really good. A um, few new faces again in their team. Um, looking very strong, as always, um, with their combination uh, with the Waterhouses. Um, and, yes, yeah, they're a very strong team, and they always give us a good battle on the pitch. A couple of premier season veteran players, and they're, of course, Jovan Hanley, Horawai, Pukitapu, just to name a couple, right? Yeah, yeah, and to have Budgie back in the bay is really good for the competition um, and obviously good for their club. Your team Saints with the Woon family and, of course, uh, quite a few that I've noticed with your team, a few guys that are of similar age that have come up through the grades together. How does that combination work? Uh, really well. Um, it, it's always a struggle to get the younger guys into it um, over the last couple of years, but with um, more and more senior players playing really well and, you know, the younger boys watching the senior A's play is probably one of the better things you see today. Um, and that gets the, obviously, the younger guys look up to the older guys and, yeah, just m- makes them want to play more. So it's awesome. Fantastic. And you're a few weeks into the season now, uh, Kane. How How is uh, the points table shaking up at this moment? Uh, it's shaping up really well. Um, but the boys, 
they're doing really well. They're working hard, and I, as a coach, you can't really complain with what they're doing. The boys are yeah, just looking sharp, and, and the competition's been tough. Um, few few easy games, but few hard games as well. And the boys really put in the mahi to really get the win at the end of the day. Fantastic. Kane, tournament coming to you guys this weekend, hosting the, uh, I'm not too sure what it's called, it used to be called the North Island Classic, uh, a few teams. From, yeah, Wellington, I say, is it that tournament that's this weekend run by the Waterhouse? Uh, a few teams from Wellington making the trip as well. What are you guys looking to achieve? So we've got a few pickups from this um, tournament. Uh, two boys come out of Christchurch, Kevin Papuni and Anthony Stewart. Um, which is really good to have guys from out of town. Um, we've trained really hard for this, and obviously we got close, semi-close last season mm-hmm. um, before the whole shutdown. Um, but the boys are really working hard, and we actually want to give this a really good chance at looking at making top four for this um, North Island tournament. Um, yeah, well, the boys are going to go out there and probably play their hardest. Oh, fantastic. Sounds like a, uh, a going to be a great weekend. Kane, uh, just something on a personal note, uh, saw you entered a photograph into the Dugout's um, Most Memorable Moments competition just recently. Um, for those that have not met you, you, uh, you obviously had an injury um, that lost uh, a good big part of your leg. Do, do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, so um, as you would have seen, I do have an amputation on my right leg um, due to a work accident a few years ago. Um, Times are really tough, as some would know who have been through it. And to be honest, softball pretty much saved my life. Um, It was the only thing I had really going for me at the moment. Um, The boys would always you know, cheer me on, even though I couldn't be there and I was getting live streams from uh, from the Senior A's Saints um, just because I couldn't be there and it was, you know, I'd always make time on a, <laughs> on a Saturday after, you know, afternoon and yep. in my hospital bed to watch the game and if anyone came through, I'd tell them to get out because I was busy watching the boys. <laughs> um, <laughs> Priorities. So, yeah, softball has been really important for me over the last four or five years um, and to be honest I probably wouldn't change it for the sake of it oh, Fantastic Kane and you're playing now aren't you? Yes I am a player coach um, so I help coach uh, the senior A's uh, with Luke Wound um, but then also get a bit of game time here and there um, you know, as much as I can but yeah it's to to be playing senior senior grade softball um, with an injury like mine is out of this world, and yeah, like it's it's a challenge, but it's a challenge I meet every weekend. Amazing, pretty very, cool, very very cool, Kane, very cool. Hey, dude, thank you so much for sharing that story, bud. Uh, I mean, obviously, no I. Word. I knew about it, um, but I thought it was really something that we could, we could share uh, with our viewers, and and you know, thanks for for allowing us to share that. Um, and and you are, uh, you know, you credit Sopple, but I think Sopple credits you as well, mate. You're you're one of those players that are inspirational to be around in the game, and uh, we look forward to you uh, hitting dingers. Yeah, 
for many yeah, years yeah, to come. Top. Yeah, maybe um, I'll get out there and have a dinger. Um, I heard you had a few over the last couple of weeks, so you keep that up. The boys are really um, appreciating that on the other team. Anything can happen with a good back win, mate, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good. Oh, well, thank you, Kane. Kane Lloyd Mooney, our roving reporter from Hawks Bay. Thanks for the update on what's happening up there. We wish all the teams up there, Pumas, Fast Pitch, Mets, Tamatia, and, of course, the Saints, and the success in the North Island Classic this coming weekend. Cheers, Kane. We'll catch you in a couple of weeks. Cheers, Chop. Thank you, guys. Well, there you go, man. Another uh, roving reporter in the bag, dude. Awesome. How inspirational. Yeah, me, um, you sitting there knowing the story, me sitting there almost tearing up. So very cool. Thank you, Kane, for sharing that. And, um, yeah, awesome to see anybody with any industry, an injury come back and, and play but to play with us. Yeah, that's pretty inspirational. I love the way that he shares that, uh, how the game pretty much saved his life. And you know what? That's the great thing about great teammates, great team sport, and softball is one of those. And it does make people's lives better. And I love that for sure, man. 100%. Absolutely. Uh, talk about making lives better. Not so much for the boys in Wales uh, last weekend. <laughs> AB's 54-16. Broden Barrett, 100th test match. Silver boots. Scores the first try in the third minute. Scores the last try. And I think the 15th, I mean the 79th minute. Yeah. Dude, what a performance. Well, it's Bowden Barrett, isn't it? I mean, yeah, great performance from the ABs to to stamp their mark. And what is it, 89 uh, tries this calendar year or something? And they've still got a few tests to go. But um, absolutely, just playing outstanding, um, flashy rugby, you know. And, and yeah, what a way for Bowden to have his 100th. I still remember when he debuted for Taranaki. He was playing with my best mate Scooter in Taranaki. And... He missed every kick for the first, like, three games, I think it was. <laughs> but every time he'd miss a conversion or a penalty, he'd set up a try. Nice. Missed the conversion, set up a try. <laughs> and that was his redeeming factor. So, yeah, to go all this way and get the get the century for the ABs, tip of the cap, Bodie. Tip of the cap. Tip of the cap indeed, bud. Tip of the cap indeed. ABs, another test match this uh, weekend. It's New Zealand time, Sunday. Earlier start, 2 a.m. this time, taking on the Italians. Well, that's always a good one against the Itais. Um, but, you know, the way the All Blacks are going at the moment and the way that international rugby has, I'm not going to say fallen behind in recent uh, months, but um, it's obvious with the lack of internationals and the lack of good competitions throughout the last 18 months that international rugby has fallen a little bit. Um, so, yeah, be a big ass uh, for the for the Italians to take on uh, uh, All Black side that's humming at the moment. They are indeed. Coming up after that, Damien, though, two real big tests to finish off the international season for the ABs. And Ireland and then France. Yeah. France are just in the back end of their professional season at the moment. Yeah. So all their players will be in form. Oh, mate, and they're always a tough ask over there, eh? Absolutely. I mean, France have been one of our bogey teams forever. Still the worst birthday of my life in 2007. Um, but, um, and the Irish, you know, got, got their first win over us in, what, 108 years or 100, whatever it was, years. And, and now they've got a couple under their belt. So um, you can't count anyone out, especially on their home soil, especially with their screaming, passionate fans that the Irish and the French have. So um, hopefully we'll, we'll be in for a spectacle. I think we will be, man. The game has always played the right way. Talking about Absolutely. played the right way, dude. Cole Evans, the Black Sox uh, captain last week, he plays the game the right way, doesn't he? Uh, sure does. Yeah, um, 
we tried to try to catch him on on a few things, but um, no, he wouldn't budge, would he? Um, he? He just he knows what he wants out of the game. He knows what he can get out of the game. He knows what he has to put in to get that stuff out of the game. And um, yeah, he, he treats everything with respect and professionalism, and that just shows what the young man's achieved. It's only 23 years old. On the upside of that for Cole, of course, are him and the rest of the 9 ballers up there haven't been able to touch their gloves or get out in the paddock uh, as of yet. But the way things are looking as of Tuesday next week with the um, level change, they may be able to start training. I'm sure they're going to enjoy that. Oh, fingers crossed. Yeah, you know, we need, um, I've said it before, I'll say it again, we need our elite ballers out there playing. Um, you know, and it all starts with your club down at the start of the season. So, um, and that's one of the great things about our sport is our elite ballers still turn up for their clubs and their and their provinces. So, yeah, we want to see the the O nine back out there. No doubt the Evans boys have been in the backyard putting on the uniforms and running yeah. around and chasing each other Run like like the good, good old days. Yeah. But um, yeah, hopefully, fingers crossed soon. Mate, we alluded at the beginning of this podcast about the victorious <laughs> Atlanta Braves uh, with the World Series. Yes. Um, this week's guest, Travis Wilson. Yeah. Man, what a what a storied career in so many different sporting codes. And of course, the Atlanta Braves was the was the ball club that signed him professionally uh, for those seven years. Yeah, had him under the under the umbrella for seven years. Um, yeah, we've mentioned uh, everything. So baseball, uh, world champion in black sock, um, and even did some fielding for the Black Caps as well as coaching Florida State to you know College World Series. So uh, encyclopedia of the game, both games actually. You know he he's been a student of both games. He treats um, the, everything he puts into it with a hundred and ten percent. And this is going to be a really good special um, interview. It's not just someone that's um we all know very well you know yeah we know his accomplishments but um an actual sit down interview travis might not have done too many of those over his time so i'm sure he's looking forward to this one just as much as us interesting fun fact here before we get into this with travis Wilson, snitka the head coach for the land mm. braves was his coach and i think it was single a ball or double a ball at one stage as he was coming through the farm system that's how close he was yeah and um, yeah, and he's been around for what is it, 30, 40 years as well, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, 40 years, so, Brian yeah. Snitka with the organisation. Very cool, very cool to yeah. pay his dues and, and get a ring. Yeah, sure. the other one you were leading to at the beginning of this podcast was Travis posted a yeah. video this very week cool. where he took his son yeah. to, I think it was game th- uh, four uh, of the World Series, which was in Atlanta. Only a couple of hours up the road from where they live in Tallahassee. Yeah. And his son's a, a ball player, big Braves fan. And boy, it was like Christmas, his birthdays so for five years all wrapped up in one. Oh, it was very cool. Sitting, you know, just a, your typical family sitting at the at the breakfast um, table and then the, 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 yeah, the camera's on Trav and then he sends the text and then it pans over to his son. His son's watching a thing. Stop that. Check what dad's just sent me and you just see the face drop and the realisation that, he, you know, him and his old man are going to the World Series. It's yeah, very, very cool. I've watched it a couple of times. <laughs> Indeed. Well, you know what? There's no better time than now. Let's get to Trev. Absolutely. Let's go. All the way from the USA, one of arguably, I'm going to say New Zealand's 
footballer that has experienced so many different sports at an elite level. It is Travis Wilson that joins Beyond the Dugout here with us. Kia ora, Trav, and great to see you. Good to see you two guys too. Appreciate you having me on. Uh, been looking forward to this for a while now. So have we, mate. So have we. We sure have indeed. Um, Travis, um, before we get into the start of it, look, so many people want to hear your story, uh, without a doubt. And of course, there are multi-generational people that actually are a fan of you. If we go back uh, in the day when you first made the socks, there are people from that era. Of course, then your baseball story, there are people from that era. And then now with what you're doing uh, with college uh, ball coaching over there, there's that era again. So the, it's going to be multi uh, generational for sure. Dude, I guess let's start the first right way as we do here in Old Teodoro. Norhue Queer, where are you from, bro? What's your genealogy? Uh, born and raised, Christchurch. Um, yeah, Pakiha, right? Um, probably the only one that ever played for the Black Sox. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, um, born and raised. Um, got into the game uh, through my parents, and uh, yeah, just. Uh, fell in love with it and haven't been able to let go of it since. Fantastic. Dude, in Christchurch uh, growing up, were there any other sports that you were interested in as well? Yeah, I, I played a lot. I mean, I think I was, my brother and I, met. we were a product of uh, the uh, New Zealand soccer team uh, playing. So we got into the game um, straight after that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I played soccer for all the way through. I played 10 years of soccer. I I dabbled in a little bit of cricket, a little bit of indoor cricket, some tennis. Um, if there was a you know a bat and a ball and something to be something to be done, my brother and I were running around doing it, just like your um, just like your typical Kiwis do. Yeah, fantastic. And softball for you, where did that start? Like a hold were you? Uh, I started when I was nine. Uh, I'd played two years of cricket the year before. I enjoyed it, but it wasn't quite um, wasn't quite what I was looking for. Well, and the- uh, my dad, Alan, yeah. uh, he'd played. Uh, back in the day for suburbs, and uh, he said, "Why don't we give uh, Why don't we give softball a go?" So, my uh, brother and I rocked down to uh, Papua Nui Domain, uh, went to sign up there, and they were full. So it's like, ah, oh, what are we going to do now? And went a little bit further around the corner, and and joined up with the Burnside Club, uh, fantastic club. Um, had a f- excellent women's program at the time. They had huge battles, the Burnside and Albion games. Uh, the men's team were right there in the mix of things. Uh, as well, so uh, was with the Burnside Club for four or five years. Uh, found my way over to uh, Richmond. Played mm-hmm. uh, played with Richmond for a few years, and uh, then uh, moved over to Papua Nui. And uh, that's when I started my uh, sort of my premier premier uh, sort of career from there. Being involved with a couple of different clubs as you're you're growing up. When, when was the first time you got involved with the representative stuff for Canterbury? Uh, yeah, I made the, um, under 14s as an 11 year old. So, uh, that was quite the experience for me right there. Um, I don't think my parents were too happy with me heading off as an 11 year old to play with some 15 and 16 year olds. So, um, but that was, that was my first foray into it. Uh, the game, I, I just, my skill set took to it pretty quickly. Um, I was always, I was always the youngest guy on the teams of all my representative teams growing up and going through. So I always was playing um, competition way above my age group. Yeah. And sort of when I look back now, that really helped me um, in a whole bunch of different ways to, 
to never really be the best at my age. I was trying to compete and be the best I could with, with players bigger, stronger and faster and older than me. So uh, that was my first shot into it. I went, you know, all the way through some years I was playing 14s and 16s. I think there might've been a couple of times I was playing with three different Canterbury teams yeah. and age groups at the same time. But um, yeah, I just wanted to play as much as I could. Uh, love the game, love practicing. I, I had a built-in uh, partner with my brother, Matt. He's uh, 14 months older than me and, and he, uh, he enjoyed the game just as much as I did. So there was always someone to hurt and throw and run around the backyard Perfect. with. So very fortunate in that regard to have, um, you know, have a built-in, um, a built-in throwing partner at all times. Nice. Very, very cool. Mm. Um, as you were coming through those grades and then, and then touching on those representative stuff, who were some of the coaches that, that impacted you coming through that period of your life? Um, or players? Well, I think probably the biggest one for me when I was younger was, was Dale Eager. Um, he took a shot with me at Papua Nui when I was a 14-year-old, you know, to, get, to go play Premier Softball at such a young age. Uh, my dad had coached one of the 14, uh, 14 and under Canterbury teams I was on. He was always around. Um, so th- those two were the two, probably the real big ones at the young age. Um, I, I think we had a lot of dads back in those days. It, yep. was, it was a dad coaching on the way through. So a lot of times you had people managing the team rather than sort of coaching it at that level. I'm sure you, you know, yep. you guys can understand that a little bit. But, um, yeah, just – there's a lot of really good people I got to be around and play with and um, a, a lot of dads that – mums and dads that gave a lot of their time to the game. Obviously, you, both you guys know how big of a family uh, sport this is in New Zealand and it was the same way for me growing up. I, you know, met so many good people and, and, and the Canterbury Canterbury softball scene's pretty tight. Everyone kind of knows everybody and yeah. um, fantastic competition all the way through the grades, good clubs that are well-supported. Um, so I, I really enjoyed my youth time for sure. Fantastic. Um, actually, you, you make a good point there about them being good, good clubs down there in a tight community in Christchurch. I've always felt in playing Christchurch or, or representative teams from down there, the really good thinkers of the game. What do you think that is? I think we had to be a lot. Um, I, I don't know if we sort of had the – the cross-the-board talent that maybe a Wellington and Auckland had. So a, a way for us to um, to maybe combat the that sort of um, being behind the eight ball a little bit there, we, we had to be smart thinkers of the game. Um, obviously, when I was coming up, we had a big influx from Southland, had a bunch of players. You know, we had the Roths coming up, you know, Greg Newton, we had, you know, Jason Kumaroa. There was a bunch of guys that I got the chance to play with that, that were coming up from, from Southland. So... That really helped us. Um, a lot of those guys were around when we, when the Canterbury men's team won the first, you know, provincials in fifty plus years. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I remember when I was really young. I just got into the game, and we'd go down and watch, you know, the Premier men's teams play. And one thing that, when I look back now, is just how hard they played the game. Like in the Canterbury area, like if there's a club game going on. Like, it, it's just played the right way. It's played hard. Um, you know, there's no quarter given uh, until after the game. And, and I, I think that, you know, those can- that was a sort of a staple of the makeup of a lot of those Canterbury teams coming through the years is they're going to play you tough from first pitch to the last. And, um, you know, that was, that was a really fun part to, to, 
fun sort of time for me to be a part of teams that played that way. I remember playing against you when you, you were younger before you went to baseball uh, in a shortstop role. Um, had, was there any other positions that you played in the game coming up? No, I kind of fell into um, second base originally just because I was so small, so much smaller and didn't probably have the, the arm strength um, initially. But I sort of graduated from second base over to shortstop. It was uh, – um, a natural position for me. I, I, I had pretty good range. Um, my arm strength for softball was was pretty solid as well, and uh, it, was, it was a good position. It's a good thinking man's position too at shortstop. You know, you have to you have to direct. You know, a lot of the infield. A lot of times when that pitcher turns around, it's the first person they look at is their shortstop. So um, I, I had to. Um, I found that a natural spot for me to be able to be in the game. Um, so. Yeah, and then of course, as I got older, I started moving away from the middle of the field. Found myself at third base, first base, and then if I could lobby for some DH time, I'd do that too. But yeah, when I was younger, I found the middle of the field and got closer to the dugout from then on. Nice. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Travis, you make the Black Sox the very first time at the age of seventeen in nineteen ninety four. First one. How did you hear about it? And two, what was it like? Uh, I mean. Fantastic uh, to hear that I'd made the team, but I also think because I was doing a lot of things, I was, I was making teams uh, at such a young age, they weren't really goals of mine because I was still so young. So I, I don't think too many 17-year-olds are out there thinking, oh, I want to be a black star. You know, at that age, you just want to go out and play, have a good time. Mm. Um, and thankfully, you know, Mike Walsh, um, like, like many of the coaches I had through, through the years, you know, he took a chance on me as a 17-year-old to go tour North America in 94. You know, I'm with, you know, a pretty pretty solid core of um, um, established Black Sox players at the time going on tour and big eye-opener for me, you know. First trip to America as a 17-year-old and hanging out with some older fellas and finding myself in establishments that I probably wouldn't have been in before um, <laughs> on the tour. But, um, again, just part of my, you know, maturation process is, is learning – um, you know, learning the game, playing in a different country, traveling, uh, had the, had great opportunity. And, and when I look back, like I was terrible on that tour. I was, I did not perform well. I didn't get a ton of playing time. Um, I was, you know, mainly in pinch hitting roles. I'd go weekend, we'd go to a tournament and I wouldn't even play, you know, in the weekend because I just wasn't ready. I was not ready. Um, I, I mean, I could play the game, but there's so much more involved when you're on tour. Um, you, you're playing with the best in the country. You know, you've got to earn playing time. Yeah. You've got, you know, it's not getting handed out in the Black Sox playing time. So for the first time sort of in my career, like it was like, oh, I'm on the bench. You know, this hasn't really happened to me much before. And so I had to figure out, um, you know, okay, what have I got to do? How do I get into this lineup? Next year, there's another tour. Like, what have I got to do to try and get into that? So I think that really sort of accelerated my um, my want and desire to to learn and 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 just take the talents that I had and then just make them better and expand on them and be smarter and and then thankfully you know that next year we went on tour again and I and I went back and you know found myself with some more playing time um, got into some bigger games played in some bigger tournaments and. Uh, yeah, and that led to, you know, making the team in 96. And, uh, again, we toured the U.S. And so I'd been twice. Like, it wasn't – like, I, 
thankfully, you know, Mike Walsh took a shot on me in those first two years to go on tour and get my feet wet. So then we went back in 96, you know, with all the, all the marbles on the line, um, you know, I was ready. You sure will indeed, dude. Let's touch on uh, 96. Um, of course, it is the big smoke. You are middle of Michigan, and um, and you're right. It's the World Cup. We know how the tournament ends. It's, it's quite you know well documented here in New Zealand, but how was it in that team that week leading through it? Yeah, I know. Um, you know, I, I heard when you guys talked with Marty Grant, you know, a, a while back, and he touched on sort of that time we were in um, Prince George and, you know, things weren't going too well as the team and we sort of had a had a meeting. And uh, for me, being such a, a young guy on a team, I, I got to hear from, you know, the established players on the Black Sox of like, you know, how tough 92 was and, and losing in 92 and the sacrifices that some of these guys made to come back, you know, their desire to... Um, to want to set things right and get back to that that championship game and and um, you know and, and pull it out. So uh, for me, again, I, I was so young at the time. You know, I didn't have a history of um, you know a heartbreak in a tournament four years before. I was just happy to be there. And whenever I saw my name in the lineup, I ran out there. But it, it really made me appreciate um, a lot of the sacrifices that my teammates had made um, to get the Black Sox into this situation and ready to roll and. I mean, I've I've got um, I've got the photo up on my wall in my office right now of that team in '96 and all the scores and just how well that team pitched, how well they played defense, um, and the fact that we always found a way to, to score some runs um, through that tournament. So, uh, yeah, big big turning point I believe uh, for the Black Sox was the was the build up to '96 and winning it, and I think it really set a foundation for the culture of that program for years to come. That um, you know, it's it's about the team. It's it's not about one individual. It's you know, we're playing for our families. We're playing for our our provinces. We're playing for you know, we're playing for the players back home that didn't quite make those unbelievable teams. It's you know, it's it's, it's just so rewarding to look back that you know what what that started for the for the run of the Black Sox. Um, you know, it makes me pretty proud for sure. Trev. One of the things I remember before you went away in '96, got to see you at a couple of tournaments, or one that stuck out in my mind. The thing that stuck out was how hard and how well you hit the ball. And I'm going to mention your stats from '96 in just a second. But what made you a good hitter back then? Um, I was extremely aggressive. Um, I, I think that's one of the traits that I try to instill into this team I coach here right now is it's one of the core values of our program. Um, you've got to play this game aggressively. Um, you know, whether you're throwing, you're on the mound pitching, you're in the batter's box, you're running the bases. Like you, you've got to be aggressive. You've got to, you've got to try and take the, uh, the game, you know, to the opposition. But it, it was just in my nature to play the game hard, you know, cause thankfully I could run, um, you know, I, I could, I could hit to all fields. I, I, I had some abilities that, that, you know, I had some tools that not everyone had in, in a package to be able to play. So it just made sense for me to play the game as hard as I possibly could yeah. because, um, I, I, I had some gifts that, um, you know, it, it wouldn't have been fair if I didn't do it. Fair enough. Dude, through that week in 96, this may have included in the warm up game. I don't know what you're sure. 15 games in total you played the 33 at bats, 
13 hits. You got hit by pitch once, by the way. You probably remember that. Two home runs uh, through their seven RBIs. Uh, batting average of 394 that week. Not too bad for your first World Cup at all. Yeah, no, I was um, I was pretty proud of that. But again, at the time, I didn't even know um, how well I was doing because I was. I mean, I was hitting down on the eight hole. I'm hitting. I hit five twenty on that tour. I, I didn't know that till afterwards when the you know your scorer puts sends yeah. out the all the stats. I hit five twenty on the whole tour combined, and then the the three ninety that you said rise of the world um, at the at the world at the world championship. So. Um, yeah, like unbelievable, but that was only good enough to get in the, to be hitting in the eight hole in that lineup. You know, I could. Uh, there were some absolute legends of the game hitting in front of me. Um, and then hindsight, when I look back, that was that was the best spot for me to be. I was a young guy. Um, you're gonna wake me. You're gonna drop me in the middle of that lineup at the time. It, it, I probably might have tried to do more than what I was doing. Yeah. So yeah. I got protected down the bottom of the lineup. I I was just allowed to go play the game and do you know do what came naturally to me and. And I did. I had, I had a fantastic tournament. Um, a lot, a number of players had a fantastic tournament. But um, you know, the, the pitching back in those days was, woof. yeah, Canada, USA. Like, you didn't see the big scores back in '96. Like, I look up there. There's like three nothing, four nothing, two nothing, yeah. three to one. Like, it, then you get to like 2004, and everyone's scoring in double digits at the World Championships. It was crazy. But '96 was, you had to. It, it was tough to score runs back in those days. Yeah. You did swipe three three bases uh, uh, in that tournament. You mentioned you were quick uh, back in the day. I'm not saying you're not quick anymore, but uh, <laughs> was that something you enjoyed as well? Yeah. I mean, um, that was a staple of um, of softball back in those days because it was so low scoring. Like, you, you had to be able to steal. Like, you, you're not hitting too many home runs. Like, you may get a walk, get a base hit, try and steal second, and then maybe you can – you can score on a base hit after that. So, um, yeah, I didn't even know I stole three bases. Maybe um, Mike Walsh needed to give me the green light a little bit more. I might have had more than three. But um, when you when you have such a good lineup, I yeah. mean, you don't want to make outs on the bases. So um, exactly, maybe we didn't run as much as we we could have or needed to. But that team, that team did it all. They they played defense. They pitched. They they run. They had the power. Did it all. That was a special team. What position were you playing in that tournament for the Sox? I was uh, I was a shortstop all the way through that tournament until we got to the playoff round, and then um, I moved over to second base. Gotcha. Uh, I think Dion Dion was playing. Dion, we pretty much flip flopped at that point. Um, yeah, it was both both of those positions come come naturally to me, and uh, yeah, I didn't care. I didn't care at all as long as I was in that lineup and getting the chance to play. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, so at the end of '96, everyone's going, "Well, this kid is in at 17." First World Cup, he just bangs the cover off the ball. We're in for a long career with this Travis Wilson from Canterbury. And then, uh-uh, change the record, something happens. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I was probably right there with you. I was um, thinking that this is going to be the start of a pretty, you know, hopefully a long career with the Black Sox. And then I, um, I've been home a couple of weeks and I got a phone call. Um, and the gentleman on the other line told me that he was a, a scout with the Atlanta Braves and uh, that he wanted me to come out to Australia and and uh, do a workout. And I straight away, I'm like, okay, which one of my buddies is this? <laughs> just to prank me right now or just catch up and say, hey, after the tournament. Yeah. And as the conversation went along, I was like, oh, okay, this guy's he's the real deal. Um, he actually 
he jumped on the jumped on a plane. He flew over from Melbourne, landed at Christchurch Airport. It was um, the weather was terrible, so we went down to one of the tennis courts at Burnside High School, and on the tennis court, I ran a sixty yard. And he flipped me a couple of baseballs and I hit him into the side of the nets at the tennis courts there. Mm-hmm. And then he said, uh, I'll get back with you on Tuesday. And he turned around, drove straight back to the airport, which is about, Burnside High is probably 10, 15 minutes from yeah. the airport. And he flew back to Australia. And I'm sitting there like, this dude came over here <laughs> for 15 minutes, worked me out on the tennis court and went back to the airport. This is not going to go well no. for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah, never going to so, hear from this no, guy again. Really? Yeah. You're gonna spend. You're gonna probably gonna spend, you know, more time in the airport than uh, you did working me out. It just didn't make sense. And I was like, oh well, that was fun while it lasted. And uh, yeah, so that was that for the weekend. And truth be said, he called me again on that Monday night and says, I want to fly you out to Melbourne this weekend. Uh, I just want to, you know, we'll have another little workout. So got on the plane that next weekend, um, flew over to Melbourne. Uh, he picked me up. We went down to um, another park. I ran the sixty again. He had a couple of his um, couple of his buddies out there that scouted for other organisations in Australia, um, and they were checking me out too. So I, I ran the sixty. I hit some BP in the cages this time off one of the other scouts, uh, and he said the exact same thing to me. I, I got back on the plane the next day. I flew back to New Zealand, and um, he said I'll get in touch with you on uh, early next week. Called me up early next week and said, I want to offer you a contract with the Atlanta Braves and I'm going to fly back over there. And so in the space of three weeks, I went from at the time being one of the best or most, you know, touted softball players in the world to being a baseball player that never played the game. So wow. uh, just crazy three weeks for me. Um, I had, as we talked about, watched uh, baseball before. Um, I always dreamed I'd go to bed at night put my head on the pillow and think, man, one day I'm going to play professional baseball. It was, it was one of those, you know, far off dreams that I think a lot of people have. Um, and I got the opportunity. I signed, uh, you know, three weeks after he first saw me, I then got on a plane, flew to West Palm beach, Florida, and it was the end of their baseball season. And they have like an instructional league for all their younger. Uh, so I walk out, there's 60, you know, 18 to, well, no, 17 to 22-year-old players in the Braves organization that had just finished their minor league season. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got some extra work in. So um, first time on a baseball field, first time seeing baseball pitching. I, I hung out there for a week. I would have stayed longer, but I actually had to get back because I had exams at university <laughs> that I uh, had to try and finish off. But they didn't go very well for me because I knew – um, I knew that my career was not going to be university at that time. And yeah. the following uh, the following year, um, flew out to uh, spring training for my first shot in baseball. Fantastic. Trev, uh, one thing you mentioned to us before this interview, but uh, the folks don't know at home, the Atlanta Braves came calling, as you just said, but you'd always been an Atlanta Braves fan before that. How lucky is that? Yeah, I, it just didn't. You know, you have these dreams and, and then all of a sudden, like, it pops up. I'm like, this is too good to be true. And um, I feel like a fantastic organization through the 90s. They, they, won, the, they won the World Series in 95. They, um, I think they lost in, like, 96. And then they went again in 99. Like, during that part of the 90s, they were 
a fantastic organization that we're always knocking on the door of, of a World Series. Um, but with that too also comes you've got a, a, a pretty established team. You've got, you know, Andrew Jones was coming on the scene then. Chipper Jones had just arrived. You had, you know, you had Greg Maddox, John Smoltz, Tom Glavin. You had three Hall of Famers on the pitching staff. Like just a, a fantastic organization to be in. And they were, they were going to give me a shot. They were just going to see if this softball player from New Zealand could figure it out. I suppose I can't go any further, and it's time to congratulate you on the win over the Dodgers uh, yesterday, heading off to the to the World Series. Well done, sir, to you and your Braves. Did the Dodgers? Yeah, thanks very much. Uh, fun fact: uh, the manager Brian Snicker. Yeah. Uh, in two thousand and one, he was my manager in Abel. Um, as you you'll see, you hear in the bro- broadcast, he's like a lifer with the Braves. Yeah. 40, 40 40 plus years in the organization. Wow. He's done it all. He's managed, he's coached, he's coached in the big leagues. He's, he's played third base coach in the big leagues. He's gone back and forth, back and forward. And now after 46 years with the Braves, he's going to the world series as the manager. So wow. pretty, pretty special. Yeah. Exactly. If he hasn't bided his time, no one has. Man. That's, <laughs> that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Trev, in yesterday's game, I want to ask you something. We witnessed the last two pitches for the Atlanta Braves. They threw the last three innings, struck out our eight batters of the Dodgers. How did they do that? Yeah, I you know, I think there's a big difference walking to the plate. Like the Dodgers hitters, they were trailing in an elimination game. Uh, so much more pressure. Well, you know, I, I notice it with our girls over here on, on our team that, you know, you're behind late in the game, you start pressing, you start trying to do too much, maybe you swing at pitches you shouldn't or you start taking pitches that you shouldn't. Um, just the sort of the pressure and the, and the expectations roll up on you. And I think that happened with the Dodgers. You know, they got the big payroll, they were favoured, um, they were expected to go back to the World Series and, and get another shot at it. So, um, yeah, just put it down to, um, you know, the game. I think that's why we love it so much, right? It's it's, it's why you play late in the game, late in the season, with the season on the line. Um, just great job by that bullpen. They, they've been doing it pretty solid for the last month or so. Fantastic, man. Yeah, very impressive. And uh, I don't probably have to say this <laughs> that hard, but I'll be in the Braves camp all day long next week with the World Series against the uh, <laughs> Houston Astros. Uh, not that I've got anything against the Astros. Apparently not. All the garbage cans. But, uh, yeah, man, I, I hope you guys do it. You play it the right way. And uh, don't get me wrong, because that Astros team is very star-studded as well. Yeah, very much so. Uh, just it's the best time of the year over here, sports. You know, you got mm. college football going. You've got the World Series happening. Uh, you know, basketball's starting to kick in. Hockey's starting to kick in. You've got you got all four major sports over here going at the same time. It's, it's a sports lover's dream this time of the year. My 40th next year? That us? Sounds like a plan, man. Right. Sounds like a trip. Sounds like a good <laughs> idea. Trev, um, the baseball route for you, as you mentioned before, you didn't play one game of baseball. Uh, you Maybe you might have thrown a baseball round with your mates just out of for jokes and kicks at a training or something like that, but you'd never played a single game. Obviously, you've watched it. Dude, you must have been like a fish out of water when you got there. I was. Um you know, athlete-wise, like in New Zealand in the softball circle, it's, you know, I was, I was pretty solid. But nice. then I get transplanted into the baseball situation and there's 100 of me on the same field uh, in the same organization from all parts of the world. So big, huge learning curve for me. Uh, 
especially on the defense side of it. I started as a third baseman, and uh, I'm sure you guys have been on a baseball field. Throwing from third base Jungle. to first base yeah. in baseball is a lot different than a softball field. Yeah. So um, arm strength for me was a big one yeah. off, the, off the get-go. Um, yeah. You know, you actually have to, you know, set your feet a little bit more and get a little bit more, for, more behind the throw. Mm. you got to work on your, you know, your, your arm exercises to increase your arm strength and all of that. So on the defense side, um, that was a big wake-up call there. And, of course, offensively, um, seeing different spins, you're seeing a different release point, the ball spending more distance in the ear, yeah. but not necessarily um, more time in the ear. Right. But so, um, you know, I just had to, just had to adjust to, um, to different speeds, different angles. And, you know, again, a lot like my first tour with the Black Sox, I was terrible my first year. I went – I went and played rookie ball. It's where, you know, all the – you get your players that have just signed out of high school. You'll get a lot of your Latin American players coming up. Uh, you'll get the odd college player. So in the first week of June, we'll go off and we'll play a 60-odd game schedule uh, in really small towns in America, uh, bus travel, the brutal the brutal travel you hear about in the minor leagues. Been there, done that. Wow. Um, obviously, some good stories along the way. Well, when you, know, you say brutal, what, like what do you mean? Like how long are some of these bus trips you've got to take? Yeah, we'll do some 12, 14-hour bus trips. Wow. Um, and you'll do that through the night and then play the next day. Yeah, that's the um, thing. You, you'll go on the road for, you know, three or four series in a row. So you've 12, 12 to 15 games on the road. Um, a game a night, small towns, middle of the summer in the south, like just brutally hot. But, um, you know, I wouldn't change it for the world. I My first year I was terrible. I was terrible. Like I, I played like someone who had never played the game of baseball before. But every night they'd just write my name in the lineup and they'd run me back out there. And it, it's not about um, – it wasn't about the wins and losses at those levels. It was all about development. So you'd see guys coming in, you'd face, you'd have guys on your team that had unbelievable arms and couldn't find the strike zone, yeah. but you'd leave them in there because they needed to figure out if these guys can play. So mm-hmm. a, a lot of times, um, very developmental. Um, you're trying to get your prospects. You're trying to get your players game time, learning the game. And, uh, and that's what I did. I mean, my first year, I, I, I did my season. I then went to the instructional ball, which is another month after the season. And then after my second, third, and fourth years, I would go play winter ball as well. So I would arrive spring training, like, what is that, February, January, February-ish, play my 140-game season. I would then go to instructional ball for another month. I'd then take a week off, and then I'd head down to either the Dominican Republic or Venezuela. I would then play their winter season, um, through Christmas, early into the next year, I'd get back to New Zealand for a couple of weeks, and then boom, I'm back on a plane again, off to spring training for another year. So I had, it wasn't ideal for me, but I had to play. So I, I, I just had to get as many games under my belt as I possibly could. So that meant the travel, the, the instructional ball, it meant the winter ball. I just had to get in as many situations as I possibly could playing the game because I'd given up. 18 years to these guys I was playing with. Mm, Some of these mm, guys mm. from South America, they pick up a ball when they're three, four years old. They start playing in the backyard baseball, just like I played softball. Mm. And um, I, I missed out on all that development of 
like my son, I got an 11-year-old son right now, Tyler. He starts out at pitching at 46 feet, and they move back to 50, and then next year he'll move back to 60. So you you learn the game and develop through the game, yeah. like in all sports as yeah. you grow up. Yeah. And I missed out on all that. Um, so I had to catch up as quickly as I could. Um, first year was rough. Second year, I went back to the same league. I'd made some adjustments, and I, I, I made the all-star team in that league the next year. I'm like, okay, all right, I'm starting to put it together. I'm starting to see, um, you know, things coming a little bit easier for me. I was, I was taking the smarts that I'd learned with all the great softball players that I played with and against, and now I was trying to, to formulate this and transfer it across to the game of baseball mm. I was playing. So. No. Um, second year, third year in the, in the, you know, in the organization started to put it together and I wasn't the softball player anymore. I was, I was a guy that, oh, can, can play this game a little bit. Nice. What was your biggest hurdle, Travis? I know it's a completely new game and you said about the development, but what was your biggest hurdle? Uh, the breaking ball. So offensively, like you don't see the big sweeping curveball or, or a sharp slider, um, in softball, like the fast, like I, I could hit a fastball. Yeah. Like, I, 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 you know, you in softball, you're facing dudes throwing low to mid eighties from from forty six feet. So, me being able to get the barrel out was not the issue. It's like when guys started, you know, throwing a little wrinkle, throwing a curveball, throwing a slider, that type of thing. That pitch was totally foreign to me. So when I'd play teams or play for weekends against people to figure that out, so. I had to then start learning how to hit the breaking stuff. And again, I'd given up so many years of not, you know, of the development part of seeing that pitch, recognizing that pitch, knowing mm. what swing to take on that. So initially, Damien, that was the big one, the, the breaking pitches that I'd never seen before. Trevor, at that time, that can't have been easy. You having to invest so much of your life into developing yourself into a baseball uh, player. And, and so the rest of your life, family, you know, just your immediate family, that stuff must have got, just got put on hold that, all that time. Yeah, I, I, yeah you're 100% right there. When I look back now, um, when, I, when I played with, in New Zealand, I played softball, I played on the Black Sox, like the team was the number one thing, right? How's the team doing? How are we going to win this game? How are we going to win this weekend? What are we going to do? And then all of a sudden I go to baseball and I'm in a locker room with 150 guys that are all trying to get to the, to the Atlanta Braves and it's not about team. So all of a sudden I had to get away from, oh, let's try and go out and win this game. I had to get to, okay, I got to get mine tonight. Yeah. I've got to go out there. I got to get my hits. I got to get, I got to steal my bases. I've got to make the plays. I've got to show my organization that I'm ready for the next level. So huge culture shift in that regard of it's not about the team, it's about what you do individually. And then as you mentioned, like I, I remember getting off the plane in spring, before spring training and I, I, I'm in Florida, I'm 19 years of age. I don't have one friend, one family member, anything in the country, not anywhere. So I was like, okie dokie. So I, I think it, it really changed me as an athlete and as a person that all of a sudden I had to become selfish. I had to worry about me. I, I, I had to know that the people that I'm around that I'm with, I'm not investing myself in fully because I know next week we may never see each other again. So 
I and I, I think, you know, part of that had something to do with, you know, just relationships in general for me, for moving on from that, that I had to become so, so worried about me and so self-centered that it was, I, I had trouble like, you know, maybe expressing myself to, to people or family members and that because just the, the, the situation I was in, it, it had to be about me and, and, and no one was looking out for me except me. You mentioned a hard graph for those first three or four years of just throwing yourself into every possible opportunity of playing different leagues and things like that. In 2001, you get your first shot at AAA, mate. What was that like? Yeah, I mean, um, my, my first four years, I'd, I'd gone through the system one year at a time, okay? I did, yeah. I did one year in rookie ball, then I went back. I did the same year, full season in rookie ball. Next year I went and I did my first year in A ball, and then my fourth year I did it was in high A. So I'd gone step by step by step by step, and then in two thousand and one I was um, I was I was not quite like a top prospect in the organization, but I was there or thereabouts that they could see that there's potentially something there for me in the next few years. So I got an invite to spring training with the major league club. So what what that does is you know you have a twenty five man roster in the major league club. And they go to spring training, but those guys don't want to play every day or don't play every day. Yeah. So they bring another 20, 30, 40, 50 players, and those guys come along and work out as well. So when the stud gets his two at-bats in the third inning, he takes off to play golf, and the young guy from New Zealand slides into the lineup in the fourth inning, and I get to play. So I'm in on the Major League team spring training roster, playing in, you know, in all, the, all the cool venues in Florida, um, and I'm getting experience. Uh, you know, Bobby Cox was the manager, legend with the Braves. He was he was coaching me for that month. Mm. So I got in there, um, and when I got in there, it was very similar. It's fun, it just circles back around it. It was very similar to my first time with the Black Sox. It was like in 96. It, I was just happy to be there, right? Yeah. So I, I wasn't thinking if I get a hit tonight or I play well this week or the next month, I'm going to be on the big league club. So all of a sudden, I start playing. I get off to a good start. Manager keeps putting me in there. I keep performing. I play a couple of different positions. It comes time for the first round of cuts. And um, Bobby Cox comes in. He says, all right, you know, a few players get moved on. He calls me into his office. He says, yep, Travis, you know, you're supposed to go down to the minor leagues today, but show up tomorrow. I want you here tomorrow. So I'm like, all right, this is interesting. Okay. I was supposed to be getting down, but my man, so, so the, the front office wants me to go down to the minor leagues and get my work in, but the manager of the major league club says he's keeping me, so show up the next day. So I show up the next day. I remember it. We took a trip down the road to Lakeland, Florida, played the Detroit Tigers. He starts me in the lineup at third base. I get three hits. Comes in after that game. You keep turning up, he says to me. You keep turning up until I tell you not to. So I ended up playing the entire spring training with the Atlanta, with the Braves club. Nice. So the roster, the roster went from like 70 to 50 to 40, you know, 25 make the club. And then all of a sudden there's 32 of us on a private plane flying from Orlando, Florida to Atlanta where they play two exhibition games before the season starts. And I remember sitting on that plane, first time on a chartered flight, flying up to Atlanta. And I sit there and it was, it was in one of those moments you know, as an athlete where you go, this is pretty cool. Like, you know, yeah. big leaguers making tens of millions of dollars are on the plane playing cards, all that good stuff. And I'm like, wow, this is pretty cool. So 
we play two exhibition games. I'm in the, I'm, I play both of those games. And then, then there's the big day for the big leaguers. They announce the 25-man roster that will then play the next day on opening day to kick the season off. And I'm sitting in my locker, and guys are getting called in. Guys are getting called in and being told they've made the team or not. And it's getting, like, down to, like, not many other people in the room. Yeah. And it's just, it's like, the last guy left in the locker room. And then for the first time, the whole spring training, I thought to myself, do I have a chance of making this team right here? <laughs> like, it, it, it just had a dawn on me because I was the guy out of A-ball, um, shouldn't have even been there, shouldn't have been on that plane making the trip. And Bobby Cox calls me into his office, the general manager's there, the assistant general manager's there, and um, he said to me, you probably should have made this club, but we're sending you to double-A. And I'm like, sounds good to me. I was fully prepared for double-A. I got out, boom, walk out into the locker room. There's like three cameras right on me and I'm getting interviewed by all the big places in, in Atlanta, the sports mm-hmm. and all that. I'm like, holy cow, I, I had a shot to make this team right here. And I didn't have a clue. I didn't know. I was just out there. I was just playing. And I, w- I was like the last guy cut from the roster in 2001. Wow. So wow. boom, off I go, sent to double A, Greenville, South Carolina, get off to a really good start. Um, one month into it, into the manager's office, boom, we're sending you to AAA. And I, I flew. It was the first time I'd actually been moved in season through the system. Yeah. And obviously AAA is, is one step away, you know, from, from the big league club. And then, then it really started to dawn on me that, you know, I'm a phone call away right now. I am literally a phone call away from going to the big leagues. So wow. pretty cool little start to my season in 2001. Not bad at all, dude. And thanks, thanks a lot for sharing that, uh, Travis. I mean, uh, like, like I said, the, the people that are interested in your story, it's multi generational, and the people that know you and knew you when you went to baseball, they're, they're dead keen to, to to get some of these insights. So, so thanks a lot for for sharing that, mate. One one year, I can't remember which year it was. Uh, you made that futures game, and all, that was just the all star break, right? Yeah. So. Um I think it was, it might have been 99. So Atlanta hosted the All-Star game that year. Right. And during the All-Star ceremony, they play a futures game where some of, some of the prospect, top prospects in each organization will get together and they'll play a game the day before. So um, I was one of Atlanta's picks to play on the world team, obviously. Had my jersey, had the New Zealand flag hanging on the arm. I watched the game. It was, yeah. Bro, there was not a lot of English being spoken <laughs> in my locker room <laughs> on the world team. <laughs> so uh, there was like me, I think there was two Australian guys and then the rest was all, all South American. So right. Dominicans, Venezuelans. Yep. Yeah. So we went out and played and had an absolute blast. Got treated like a big leaguer in Atlanta for the day. Um, yeah. And then flew back to my uh, able. It was when I was in able, flew right. back to my able team and, and, and met up and continued on playing, but fantastic experience, Chop. That was uh, thanks for bringing that up. I enjoyed that. Ah, cool, uh, dude. You were at, we were in Atlanta Braves for for seven or so seasons or whatever it was. In the end, man, for you, what was the highlight of the whole thing? Uh, I, th- I think just getting the opportunity to every day to be to be a professional athlete. Um, you know, to do something you love. There's there's just so many people out there every day that that get up and. They have to go do things they don't want to do. Um, and I, I never had that feeling for those eight years. Like, I, I wanted to be out playing baseball. 
Um, it wasn't about money because you don't get any money at those levels. Mm. It's just about do I have enough money to get myself a Subway sandwich and get to the field on time and play a game that night. So um, my, I, I had some great experiences um, learning the game, learning myself, uh, learning the business of sport. Um, at the time, probably didn't know that what I was learning and experiencing would be so beneficial to me later on when I started to coach. And, and, and when I look back now, um, I feel I played the game a lot and thought the game a lot like I was coaching, even though I was on the field playing. So I think, you know, I, I've got – I have all those great players that I played with in softball and on the Black Sox that, that thought the game – differently yeah. like if we just run all the talent on team a out there against all the talent on team b the team with the most talent is going to win but if you run two teams out there and one team takes the talent plus the smarts then you can elevate yourself and, and for me that was always always number one like when i'm out recruiting right now looking for you know young females to come play in our, in our our team here, like the smarts just jumps out at me every single time. If I can see a player processing the game differently or seeing things, plays before they happen or just talking the game the right way, then, um, you know, that, that excites me. So I, I thankfully got to learn the smart part of the game because of my time in New Zealand playing softball. I wasn't kidding, Damien, when I told you that these contemporaries are intelligent when they play this game. <laughs> and you can just listen to Trav talk about it here. That's exactly where he's uh, picking up that stuff, mate. Um, Trav, after you finished with base, I know you had a quick stint with uh, Cincinnati. That also had a, a good personal moment for you. Yeah, it did. Um, obviously, you know, when, when you sign uh, your first ever minor league contract, it's for seven years. So the first one I signed in 97 bound me to Atlanta for seven years and not many people play out there seven years. You either, you know, either get released, you get traded or you go on and, and you play in the big leagues and then sign a big league contract. But, but for me, I, I played out my seven years. I was never traded. Um, I, I always found myself um, a valuable part of the teams I was on, not necessarily because, you know, I was one of the better players towards the end of my career, but I became really versatile. Um, by the time my career finished, I'd played everywhere except shortstop, ironically, and catcher. I had played first, second, third, left, <laughs> center, and right, but the two positions I hadn't played were shortstop, which I grew up playing, yeah. and then catcher because, obviously, I was so far behind learning that position. You don't just pick that one up straight away. So um, I became – very versatile because I had to. Yeah. If I didn't become versatile, they would have got rid of me. Mm -hmm. So I saw that, all right, I got to learn different positions. I got to be good coming off the bench. I got to be a good, as good of a teammate as I can. Um, play the game the right way. Situationally play it the right way. Um, don't hurt my team on defense. Know where the ball needs to go, all that type of stuff. So I, um, I, I, I kept myself around because I played the game the right way, not necessarily because I was one of the better ones. And then and in a system, like when my, I guess my prospect days were over, I still played for a couple more years at the AAA level because your prospects that are coming through still have to have people to play with, right? Yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah. so I, I got to play my seven years and I tried my last year. I When my co first contract was up, I signed a one-year deal with the Cincinnati Reds. 
ended up going and playing double A with them in, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I think what you're alluding to is that's where I met my wife in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And um, that was the start of a, you know, a, a different chapter for me. Fantastic, mate. And uh, Damien, have a little look at this is uh, um, Trav's uh, stats. Over his eight seasons of playing, he had 3,035 at-bats. This is just the mistakes. 3,035 at-bats. Dude, that's a lot of swings. Yeah, and if there's another column over there, strikeouts, there's also a lot of swings and misses. Too, right? so, <laughs> <laughs> please don't read where's, down where's that, that line. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, fantastic. Dude, after you finish with baseball, you come back to NZ, and I got a chance to play with you, I think, not long after you got back. We were in a, an international series in, uh, in Rotorua, uh, playing against the Sox, actually. That wasn't going to be long for you the way you came back. But mm-hmm. one thing I noticed, and I remember when you before you left, and then when you came back, your body shape was completely different. You're a man mountain when you came back. Yeah, when when I when I graduated well, high school, I, I I was 185 pounds, and then by the time I finished my baseball career, I was at about 230. So from yeah. You know, from the start, like you, you don't really play in the big leagues a whole lot these days at the size that I started playing baseball. Like those guys are during that era for sure. Like that was the era of the home run. You know, that was Mark McGuire. Yeah. You know, Sammy Sosa going the battles. Like the home run regenerated the game. Um, I felt that I had to put on some size. I need to try and hit a few more home runs. Uh, it was just part of the way the way the game is going. So I, you know, the weight room was big. Um, you know, trying to, to put on weight to be able to compete with all these monsters that are coming, you know, from South America and, and from the American college system as well. So, um, yeah, my, my body did change. I, I, I tried to, to put on the size but still keep the speed. And towards the end, I had the size and I was losing the speed a little bit. So um, if I went back and did it again, I probably wouldn't have gone that route of trying to get bigger and trying to hit the home runs. I would have. I would have tried to stay more like what got me to be a good softball player was the combination of driving some doubles in the gap, stealing some bases, that type of thing. But the way, just the way the game was at that time, it was it was strong. It was home runs. It was it was leaving the yard. Dude, when he came back, we played this uh, the series in Little Toro. And then one thing I remember was when you would swing the bat, man, you could hear the bat. That's the kind of uh, power that he yeah. came back with. There's a couple of moonshots against the Sox, and then not long after that, they <laughs> recalled him back into into the Sox. Dude, you got to go to um, another World Cup. We'd skipped your Junior World Cup. Of course, you had the one line red uh, in the Junior Black Sox, but you had the, the World Cup in Middle of Michigan we touched on at the beginning. But then again, in 2009, you got to play another World Cup for the Sox. Dude, what was that ride like? Yeah, that was, um, that was different coming back, uh, obviously. You know, 96 was great, but then, you know, the Black Sox continued that on, winning the next two, right? 2000 in South Africa, 2004 in Christchurch, which I actually ended up commentating those games um, on TV, which was fantastic. And then I I came back into the mix in 2005, 2006. Mm. And, um, like, because I hadn't gone through the system for for those two more wins, I came back in and – it was a little bit different when I came back in. Yeah. You know, the um, it was it, the team was just having so much success that um, it, it just felt different moving back into it. 
And, you know, of course, 2009, we went away to Saskatoon and we didn't play very well. We, we had to scrap out a couple of wins there at the end just to get to the championship game. And then, you know, Australians pitching at the time was, was fantastic. Um, yeah, I noticed a little bit of a change 2009 when I came back the second time. Um, just, just different for me because I knew how hard 96 had worked to get to that spot. And I just felt a little bit different to me, not not in a bad way. It was just different. Yeah. And um, yeah, that was that was the year. You know, we lost it in in um, '09, and then you know the team got back on track again. I think back uh, in the next one up. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, I got to taste the good win in '96, and then you know a, a tough defeat um, on the road in 2009. But yeah, so thankful to be back. Uh, I played extremely well for the Black Sox when I came back. I think a little bit has to do with what you alluded to is that I was a lot stronger. I could probably swing the bat a little bit, you know, had a little bit more behind it. And I, I think I, I, I hit quite a few home runs in those those years leading up to 2009 and even oh, yeah. at, at the tournament 2009. Um, yeah, it just – all the reps, those 3,300 at-bats that you talked about, mm. like I was a professional hitter for – you know, seven or eight years, and I got the reps and all of that. So I came back to the game. It took me a little bit to adjust again to the pitching. I was a little bit late straight off the get-go, which you may find hard to believe just because the softball gets on you so quickly. Yeah. But I, I, I found my way back um, back to my back to my roots playing the game pretty quickly, which was good. Chaz, Trav, what were some of the things that you, you brought with you from baseball that you felt was advantageous in softball? Um... Not a whole lot, to be fair. Um, I, I think when I look back, I, I learned the majority of my my game and my craft playing softball. Like, just I took more from softball to baseball than yeah. I brought back from baseball to softball for sure. Um, just again, it was good to be back in a team environment um, with sort of everyone pulling in the same direction. That was a, that was a good change for me. Um, you know, the it was a. Kind of a transitional time, I guess, for the Black Sox then. Some guys were uh, sort of on their way out that yeah. had won, you know, a bunch in a row. There were some some young guys coming in, like Marty mentioned uh, on an episode a while back. Like, he, he stayed on to, to, to pitch again in, in 09. And there was a passing of the sort of, you know, Heine was there on the mound. Uh, Jeremy Manley was in that mix as well. So, um, yeah, a little transitional time. and But, again, I, I think a lot of – the experience of the Black Sox and all the wins that they've had leading up to that allowed us to find our way to battle back to get to that championship game just to take a shot at it. But at that time, just, you know, Adam Folkard that year was just too tough to – it was too tough for us. Trev, Trev you also uh, have taken up the opportunity to play some IC softball uh, in the States as well through that latter part of, of your career. Yeah. Was that about ticking ticking that one off, or was that something you'd always wanted to do as well? Yeah, I, that was that was a strange one because I never when I when I when I left softball the first time to go play baseball, I'd, I'd heard about the ISC. Um, I knew about how great of a tournament it was, but it became something that I never ever imagined I'd get myself to. I always thought I'm going to go, I'm going to play baseball, I'm going to get to the big leagues, I'm going to play for 10 years, and then I'm going to retire, and all's great with the world, and mm. pocket full of money and all that good stuff. But, you know, that didn't obviously work out for me. And then I found my way um, after baseball finished up to New York playing modified softball. So I went up first modified, played with Darren Ray uh, up there. He was, he was up there 
uh, with the team, got into the modified side of it. Uh, fantastic game. You know, it's balls and play all the time. Uh, just, just a great game to play. And then our sponsor at the time wanted to move his modified team into the ISC, into, you know, into the fast pitch side mm, of it. Mm. So we went um, the first year, I think it was 2005. We went to Eau Claire, Wisconsin, if I remember rightly, and we played our first ISC and it was my first ISC. And I was like, all right, you know, two life tournament, um, which I think that actually changed the format that year. There was a round robin to give teams some games. Right. So right. thankfully it was perfect for us because we were young. We probably would have gone 0 and 2 because we were so young and, and, and didn't really have the pieces yet. So we got to experience that. I think we played seven games in that tournament. Um, and that was the taste of my sponsor really liking that tournament. And then that was the, our foray, the Patsies out of New York, um, into ISC and a, a little stretch there where I played nine ISCs uh, over 10 years. When you, when you compare... Um your early career with the Sox and then baseball and then now the ISCs, are they comparable? Yeah, I mean, people ask me all the time, you know, the difference between the baseball and the softball. It's it's still someone throwing a ball yeah. over the plate that you've got to hit. you still got to pick it up and throw it. you still got to run. Like, uh, very com- comparable. Um, that tournament, uh, ISC, I mean, fantastic. It was the, – the game was still thriving, I think, at that time. Um there were a lot of teams. The tournament was full, uh, all that type of thing. And and it, it became uh, a tournament that I really enjoyed going to. Um, I went nine times, like I mentioned. I yeah. made three finals. I did not win one. Lost three finals over my nine, nine years. Uh, that's probably like the one of the boxes during my career. If I could go back, I'd like, man, I wish I could tick the box and say I won one of those. But I didn't. Played on some good teams. Played on some teams that weren't very good, that went a long way. Uh, yeah, really enjoyed it. Fantastic tournament. Just, you know, just a big celebration of the, of the game of softball around the world in, in one North American tournament. It was great. Fantastic. And Trev, correct me if I'm wrong, nominated for the Hall of Fame coming up this year. Is that right? Yes, I do. And very proud of that. I will be going uh, into the Hall of Fame next year. And, uh, yeah, very very proud of that. I heard if anyone's willing to make a trip, there's a free beer waiting for them there. Is that correct? Uh, if there's a New Zealander in the vicinity um, of my ceremony or that night after while we're watching a game, I got him covered. <laughs> attaboy, attaboy. Well, congratulations on that nomination, Trev, and, uh, and an amazing career. Before I uh, come off your personal career of playing, mate, I just want to read out your lifetime betting stats with the Sox. Um, sorry, I don't have any others, but the Sox is obviously the main one, mate. You've had uh, um, fifty, sorry, eighty-three total Test caps. Ninety-two games is what they've got historically recorded uh, here. It included uh, two hundred and fifty-nine plate appearances, ten sacrifice hits. So doing it for the team, you got hit by pitch three times throughout your career. Eighty-three hits. 26 long balls, 63 RBIs, mate. You did strike out 44 times, as you say you'd like to sometimes, but you did swipe five bags for a career batting average of 361. I'll take it. That sounds pretty good. (laughs) I'd take it too, man. That is very impressive. And thank you for your service to the shirt, dude, and the fern. And uh, as you so rightly, rightly put, 
playing for the Sox is not about a, a personal accolade. It's about a team, and and I think that shows over the, that period of time, and also willing to come back into the Sox when you came back to New Zealand and 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 give what you gave then and the performance. You know, it's something that we're indebted to you for uh, forever for representing our country. So we thank you for that. Yeah, you got it. I um, I I, well, I was. I got way more out of it than I put into it. It's it's a fantastic, um, fantastic team, um, incredible traditions, and uh, I learned a lot and got to play with some pretty special players. So I'm very thankful myself. Coaching women's softball at a university and getting paid, dude. How the hell did you fall into that? Yeah, I mean, you know when. When my baseball career was over and then you're sort of faced with, all right, what am I going to really do with my life? You know, you have all these plans that I'm going to go play baseball, boom, yeah, this is going to happen. Just like every other kid that, you know, you know, falls by the wayside on the way through the minor leagues. But I, I, I'd looked at jobs um, that popped up online and stuff at universities and the first line was always four-year degree, four-year degree, four-year degree on every single one of them. And I'm like, that is not me. I left, you know, straight after high school to go play baseball. There was no time for a university degree in there. So I never really um, looked into the opportunity of potentially getting a college coaching job without the degree because that was always line number one on the on the um, application. Application, yeah. So um, I didn't really pursue anything. But um, after my last year, I was still in Chattanooga, Tennessee uh, with my, you know, soon-to-be wife. And I was giving lessons out of a facility. Um, I was giving baseball lessons out of the facility. And down the other end was like the softball side of the facility. And I was, every now and again, I'd just go down, I'd roll the arm over, throw some batting practice to, you know, the softball girls that were working out in the facility. And I really enjoyed that. But majority of the time I was giving baseball lessons. And uh, one day the the owner of the facility walked up to me and goes, uh, hey, I got a phone call from the head softball coach at Florida State asking about you. I was like, oh, oh, that's cool. So, you know, I finished my lessons, whatever, got out the door, you know, got the phone, looked up, who is the head coach of Florida State (laughs) University team? Yeah, all right, there's her email address on here. So I just sent her like two lines. Lonnie Alameda is her name. I said, Lonnie, my name's Travis. I'm in Chattanooga. Um, I heard you were asking about me. If there's anything you want to talk about, here's my number. So two days later, she gave me a call. She was on her way back from recruiting in California. She was flying through Atlanta to go down to Tallahassee, Florida. Then she stopped, jumped in the car, and drove up to Chattanooga, and we had lunch. And just straight away, um, headed off with her. We um, we had a lot of similar feelings about the game. Uh, she wanted uh, not your stock standard um, assistant softball coach in the in in the college ranks that was probably a player came up did pretty good then that coach hires their own player that type of thing she mm. wanted to get a little outside the box and um, I was like oh you know I'm I'm really interested uh, if if you know if we want to pursue this or whatever I would you know it, it's something that really interests me and she said okay this weekend um, bring the family at that time uh, I was married. And my son was, you know, six months old. So we packed up in the car, drove Chattanooga to Tallahassee about seven hours. And I remember driving into Tallahassee and then coming to the facility here. 
and I hadn't really explored too many college softball facilities. And I ended up walking in and I'm like, holy cow, what this facility is for co- collegiate softball. It was the nicest stadium I'd ever seen um, or played a softball game in. Mm. So I was like, straight away, I'm like intrigued by the facilities. Um, I come upstairs, I look around the offices and I see the cages, I see the weight room, I see the nutrition, I see the indoor facilities. And straight away, I'm like, I have got to coach college softball. Like with these facilities, the resources available, um, I, I just straight away, I just told Lonnie, I'm like, I would, I would love this opportunity. And she rolled the dice on me. She had to pull some strings. I, I did not have the four-year degree. So when she goes over to administration and says, hey, I've got this guy, and then administration straight away, you're like, why doesn't he have his degree? And there, you know, thankfully, um, I could offset like the degree part with my softball and baseball background. Yeah. That Obviously, it's not a degree, but I, I had a master's in softball and baseball. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I'd done the time. I just didn't have the piece of paper that said, you know, I studied some nonsense in the classroom for four years. So – they took a shot on me. She took a shot on me. I jumped in with both feet. Um, it was hard initially. I had to learn recruiting, had to learn the game. I had to realize that girls cry a lot. Um, I had to realize, you know, like it was my first time coaching female. So I, I had a lot of things I needed to yeah, learn. Yeah. And I'm still learning right now. But um, what I mean, when I look back now, like I'm coming up on season number 11 here. So, so thankful for this opportunity. Um, I, I come to work every day um, thanking the university for giving me the shot, not looking at it like, look what I've done for the university. It's like, I'm so thankful for this opportunity. And uh, we've, we've got on a little bit of a run. We, once, we got our, once I got my feet wet and figured out how this game was and figured out how recruiting went and what it takes to win ball games, um, we're in a really good spot right now with this program, and I'm super proud of that. And I do not feel like I come to work. I, 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 you guys, you guys know how, how awesome it is to, to go to a softball field and, and just run around with, with kids or whatever and play. The, I get to do that every single day. Mm. And, um, and I get to take care of my family doing it. So, so, so thankful for the game of softball. Um, so thankful for Lonnie, my, my head coach. She's, she's as good a person as I've ever met. She's taken a shot on me. She's picked me up a couple of times when I've been down. I'm just like so lucky to be here and, um, you know, so thankful to the sport of softball because it, it allows me to put a roof over the head of my family. And, uh, Travis, and please take this the right way. Listening to you now talk about um, your opportunity, but, but how you understand your opportunity uh, and the gift that you've been given. And then not so long ago, you were open and telling us uh, through your baseball part of your life you had to be selfish, uh, um, and it was all about yourself. They are two completely different Travis Wilsons you've just given to us right there. Yeah, I mean, I I go out like I know you had you had Gretchen on a couple of weeks ago, right? And she talked about her college experience, and um, you know she did she didn't sort of go into two details, but. I could kind of tell that she fell out of love with the game of softball yeah. during a certain time in her college career. Sure did. And I remember, I remember listening to that, and I'm like, like, this, like, the last thing I would ever want is one of my players to like fall out of love with the game of softball mm. while I'm coaching them. Yeah. So 
you know, I, I, I went back and looked up 2015, Florida State's playing Tennessee in a Super Regional. Winner goes to the World Series. I went back through the box scores. Gretchen O'Coin was on the Tennessee roster at the time. Yeah. She pitched against us that series. She had a couple of hits in game two. Like her team beat us in 2015 to go to the World Series. So, um, and, and, and I, I remember listening to her story and, and, just knowing that like not every collegiate player has the best experience and um, you know, it's sort of like tugs on your heart to know that you could get a kid in your program. Uh, she's, she's picked your program. She's given four years of her life and for her to fall out of love with the game or, or want to play in spite of her coaches, like it's just like against everything I stand for as a coach, yeah. right? You want, you want your players to come in, whether they're hitting third and they're an All-American or they're number 20 on the bench, that you want their experience um, to be as good as it can. You want them to um, know that they're valued regardless of their performance on the field. So just a bunch of things like as a guy, like when I first took the job, I'm like, sweet, I'm coming in. We're coaching softball all day long. We're going to get after it. And then you realize that softball is such a small part of what you actually do with 20, 18 to 22 year old females, like they're trying to figure themselves out. They're trying to find w- what they want to do in life. They're trying to figure out the game, school, a whole bunch of different things. So teaching the game of softball is a small part of it, but like dealing with failure, dealing with fear, um, a whole bunch of different things. Um, coaching softball is just a minor part of what I do. So I, I get to, I get to share my stories. Like I get to say, oh yeah, I remember when I was one of the best softball players in the world. I remember when I was one of the worst baseball players in the world. So everyone on my roster, at some point I can relate to where they are in their yeah. careers, whether they're absolutely killing it or they're struggling, they're starting, they're not, they've, um, they're away from home. Like my experiences have allowed me to relate as well as I possibly can to my players because I've, I've been down the road of a lot of you guys in, in, in different aspects. And I just, I just hope at the end of their four years, when they take that jersey off for the last time that like, they loved it. They love the game. Very impactful, uh, Travis. Very impactful. They're very lucky. Uh, I know you say you're lucky to be there, but they're very lucky to have you, mate, especially in the mindset that you've got uh, right now. Uh, there's a lot that's been written about uh, the improvement of Florida State's offense since you've been part of their program. How have you helped them to get better? Well, you know, sort of one thing you learn, um, you, you, you've got to get some horses in, right? You've got to have the talent. There's there's no amount of coaching that can make up for lack of talent. So for me, initially, I had to get out. I had to maybe go to Mississippi and find Gretchen O'Coin. You know, you, we go out, we go to these travelable tournaments, um, we travel the whole country. We establish relationships with travel ball coaches, high school coaches, and we try and get young players, young females to come in here and look at this facility and look at the coaching staff and say, yep, I want to be a Seminole. I want to come to Florida State. So number one, get out and recruit. Get talent in here. Get players that can play the game. And when you're out recruiting, like I wanted to recruit what I know wins. So when I look back at those Black Sox teams, like what they do, they ran, they played defense, they hit for power, and they pitched, right? So when you go out recruiting, you have to try and find 
all of those things all around the country and you've only got 12 scholarships to offer. You've got a roster of 17 to sort of 24 depending on the year. So you've got to figure out, okay, how do I build a team? And then once you build the team, you've got them in, you've then got to coach them up. And um, the staff that I'm with right now, Lonnie and uh, the other assistant coach, uh, Troy Cameron, who was my roommate with the Braves, went full circle and we're coaching here together. Wow. And, wow. and and the last the last assistant coach, Craig Snyder, who uh, we coached like eight years together um, through the national championship. Like we had a staff that absolutely loved the game of softball. Live, breathe, just trying to figure it out every single day. So that was a big part. Get a good team, coach them up, and let them know don't be afraid to fail. Like it is part of the game. We've, we sign up to play softball. Softball is a game of failure, right? You get you get four out of ten hits, you're going, you're going to a Hall of Fame somewhere, you know, right? So there's six at-bats there where you're failing. Like during those six at-bats, can you figure it out and stay and keep your head above water that you can still be present to get those four hits, you know? So big part of it, dealing with failure, bouncing back, big wins, tough losses, um, all of that type of thing. So uh, offensively, Chop, like you said, like teach the smart part of the game, yeah. right? Like there's a girl out there on the mound and she's only got a certain amount of pitches she can throw for a strike. If we get ourselves into certain counts, there's only a certain number of pitches she's going to throw to us and try to get them te- learning the game within the game. Because the game within the game is where you can separate yourself because I think for our program here for the longest time, we haven't got the number one recruits in the country. They pick the biggest schools. They're going to the SEC. Uh, w- with us in the ACC, we're getting we're getting good kids, but our separator was we had to coach. We had to out-coach. We had to out-coach as many people as we possibly can. And now that we're a little bit more established, we're finding a lot more of those bigger recruits and picking us because of, of, of the way things are going. So um, you want to talk about fun. You want to talk about going out to a 14U, 16U tournament and watching young young girls play the game and and trying to figure out what you want in your program, uh, what type of kid you want, what type of family uh, that they bring, and that type of thing. So much fun. Like the recruiting to me is so much fun because I love to win. And if you can't say you love to win and you don't like to recruit because yeah. one leads to the other, right? So get out, recruit, get the kids in here, love them up, teach them the game, let them know it's okay to fail, and then just go play hard. Nice. Sounds so simple when he says it, doesn't it? Doesn't so David? simple. Uh, Another um, one saying game within the game. Yeah. Uh, last year's College World Series. Um, dude, got to say, mate, um, it, it felt like it, you were on the screen all the time, man. You, they, they had mentioned you so much of being integral with the development of that uh, of that club. Uh, and and we I mean, I think you had the whole nation. Yeah, did you hear us all back here oh, cheering you oh, on? Cheering your like, team on. Uh, everybody? Series. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I did notice that there were a lot of the games, that obviously the games are on ESPN, and then oh, obviously that a lot oh, of the games are getting picked up back in New Zealand. Yeah, I was hearing sure. that. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. But I remember 2018, we won it. Yes. We, we lost the first game. We, we won it in 18. We lost the first game, and then we peeled off like six wins in a row after that. The back and door, I remember right, when yeah. I went back and watched the games, my name was not mentioned one time at all seven of those games. Not one time. That was we got the national championship, win it, yeah. and my name was not mentioned once. And I'm like, come on, man. There's only three coaches on this team. Can you throw my name out here at least once? Yeah. But no, it wasn't mentioned at all, and I'm okay with that because yeah. 
as an assistant coach, you know, your role is exactly that. Just get your work done in the background. Um, and then this time I went back and I don't know if you saw it, it was one of the games they, they actually announced Troy and my name on the thing. I was Travis Watson. <laughs> they got my name wrong. I was Travis Watson and he was like Troy Crawford or something. Like the, the commentator butchered both of our names. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm more upset about. The fact that I wasn't mentioned in 18 or that when I am mentioned this time, they get my name wrong. Yeah. So I, both of them are not good. Not good at all. Not, not good yeah. at all. Where do you get Watson? Dude, dude, the question I have on the back of all of that um, from last year, 21 and 18. College World Series is, is so difficult to make, let alone win. To win one, to lose one. Dude, what's that emotional ride like? Yeah, I mean, both times, um, you know, as we do here, we like we go in as the underdog. We um, in um, in two thousand and eighteen lose game one to UCLA. We had a had a like four to one lead. They come back and beat us eight to four, throw us into the losers bracket, and from there on, you just got to fight. You know, it's one game and you're done. We got hot, started swinging the bats. Our pitching was as solid as it always is, and just rode that all the way through to the championship series against Washington. Beat them one nothing in the first game of the championship series, and then hammered them in game two, like eight to three or eight to four, I think. So, like at the end of that, you just sort of just take a big sigh, you know, you just take a big breath and go. There was two hundred ninety three teams on February the seventh, and we are the last one left. Yeah. And wow. like as a staff, unbelievable moment. Um, our kids obviously worked hard, um, played played great at the right time. That was fantastic. But then, you know, like flip side in 21, like you mentioned, like we were like 10 seed going in, um, lost game one again. It's like, here we go. Forest State's <laughs> done. There's no way they can pull off another. Yeah. They can't run through the loser bracket again. And lo and behold, here we go. Win one, win two, have Alabama in the in the semifinal, got to beat them twice with the best pitcher on the planet. We double dip them. And next thing you know, we're up against Oklahoma, who is hands down the best offense in a college program that I've seen in my 10 years mm. and we beat them in game one. And then we have a two, one lead in the sixth inning in game two. And we are six outs away from, from probably one of the biggest upsets in, in college softball history. And we, we, you know, we gave up a base run and gave up a home run. And then, you know, we lost game two and we just couldn't get it going in game three. But um, I was probably more proud of the 21 team because um, punched way, 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 way above their weight. Um, had some struggles during the season, but just put it all together at the right time. And, you know, that's, I think that's what you're most proud of as a coach, but both of them emotional, like there's no way I worried about the things that I worry about now when I played, like I, I really appreciate my coaches now that, you know, what it takes to, to prepare, what it takes to write a lineup, what it takes to, to make moves in a game, you know, that give your players the best chance to be successful. Um, Mentally draining, but holy moly, it's good fun. It is so much fun playing, playing and coaching this game. Because college softball, I don't know if you guys notice, like you watch the games, there's, there's like 12,000, 13,000 people in the stands these days. Like crazy, we were playing man. Oklahoma, who's the university is like 30 minutes down the road from Oklahoma City. Yeah. So there was our 200, 200 fans above our dugout and the other 12,800 people, like they were Oklahoma fans. Yeah. So we were like seriously outnumbered and an unbelievable softball environment. Mm. And um, our, our, our girls just 
just did what they do. They played the game right. They played hard. They never gave up, and we gave ourselves a chance. You sure did, but I remember seeing at the end of that series uh, some of the numbers that came out. Of course, they were sellouts, all the attendance there, but the TV numbers and viewership that came out was off the hook, and no wonder ESPN, they're all putting their hand up, we want more college women's softball uh, on, on TV. And, and, and by, as a byproduct, as you so rightly mentioned, we're seeing a lot more of it here in New Zealand now as well. Yeah, it's great. I mean, you know, hopefully... Hopefully there's some girls in New Zealand right now that, that are watching these games and and maybe maybe one day, I've, I've told Lonnie, like one day I want to be able to get on a plane and fly from Florida to New Zealand and go to an underage tournament and I, I want to see, I, I want to get a New Zealander over here. I nice. think I, I would love that culture to get into into our program. Yeah. You know, it, it would be fantastic. So. If there's anyone out there that's got a 15, 16-year-old female softballer that they think can be legit, I'm on a plane. Sounds good. We look forward to that day, my friend. uh, I'll buy you the beer when you sign one of our kids over here, that's for sure. (laughs) Don't you you worry about that. Mate, i got a question here. We recorded that. Yeah. (laughs) Hey. I got a question here from uh, Jackie Smith. She's she, as you know, a great White Sox player and now uh, involved in coaching uh, herself. And she, her question here is: What is his coaching philosophy? Has the way we coach today changed, and why? And what is different? There's a couple of bits after that, but I'll, I'll cut it at that for now. <laughs> so, what's yeah, your coaching I mean, philosophy here? I think, um, like. Good, um, good athletes want to be. They want to be coached tough. They want to know the truth. Um, they want to be told when they're going good and when they're not, and and they, and they want to be told like how they can get better. That doesn't change whether it's a female, a male, like older, younger. Like they want to be coached. The good ones want to be coached. I I, I do think um, I'm sort of noticing now that getting a lot more players come through that know a lot more, that they've, they've been to the batting lessons, they've got the strength coach, um, they've, they're ready when they get here skill-wise, but what they don't have is the smart part of the game. That, that, I don't think we're, we're teaching at the travel ball and high school level at the game within the game. So we get them here, we get talented kids here that have been to all the lessons and are strong and all of that, but they've missed out on like, how do I play the game? I think that is for sure a big part of it. And you know, where does that come from? A lot of, a lot of times that comes from watching the game, right? I, I know that I learned how to play softball by being a 10, 11, 12, 13 year old going to watch Albion play Burnside and women's softball, you know, Christchurch United play suburbs and Richmond and, and Papua Nui. Like you'd go watch the game and learn the game. I don't know if that's happening at the young age right now. Like, there's a built-in phone on with these kids these days. There's video games. There's I don't think they're getting out and seeing the game played, getting out in the backyard, throwing the ball around, um, being with their mates and, and exercising and doing all that stuff. I think we're getting away from that. So now we're getting very skilled athletes, but they haven't. They don't. They don't. Um, they have the, the smarts of the game. Man, well put. Mm, well put. Very well, well put. put. Uh, <laughs> One other question. There's a couple other bits. I think you've already you touched on it. Um, but 
You mentioned what has it been like the transition uh, from being a men's player to coaching women, and you said something about crying. I hope, did you ever use the line "There's no crying in, in baseball"? No, I no, I did not. <laughs> okay. I, and and you know, it's when you get one of your players that they want so badly to do well, yeah. like they want, they just love the game so much. They're in the weight room at six a.m. They're at their classes. They're they're in the cages at night that they're working so hard and then they're just not getting the results or something else in their life is not right. Whether it's family, you know, boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, something's not clicking. Like as a coach, you've, you've got to be able to like notice that and realize, okay, if, if, if I can't get this player in a good spot off the field, then she will never be good on the field. Like there's such a correlation between them. Like if you don't have, all your ducks in a row off the field, it's going to be so hard to play to your ability on it. So a lot of times it's, it's about the relationship with your players, like getting to know them, you know, asking questions about their family, like letting them know that you care about them as a person. And then they're going to be like, Oh, okay. He really cares about me as a person. He's invested in me. Like, and now then, then you start noticing that the softball and the coaching side of it starts to elevate the player because they trust you and they know you. Yeah. So that was, that's a big thing that I've learned. Um, you know, that, um, you know, they don't care what you know until they know that you care. Like that's been such a big one for me, right? If you, if your players know you care about them as a person, then they'll do it. Then once the game starts, they're just going to play so hard for you that, um, that you're just going to go, okay, here we go. Right. We've got connection with the team. We've got connection between the team and the coaching staff. And then that's when the magic happens on the field. Fantastic. Just as you mentioned, do becoming one, uh, not only as a team but also a coaching staff, the whole whole group of you, and then having that common goal. No wonder you've had some good success over recent years, and uh, and and we look forward to seeing more more of that. Um, a couple of weeks back, we had uh, a guest on our show, and she was coming down to coach with you. I don't know if that's happened now. Kaylee Rafter from Canada. What happened with her? Kaylee Rafter is currently our volunteer coach. And oh, she is with last you. Week, yeah, she is with us. And mm. last week she was named the head coach of the Canadian women's team. I saw that. So um, congratulations to her on that. She's obviously just finished the Olympics yep. a couple of months ago and now her career's over and she's transitioning straight into the head coach. So um, excited. Like, we got a great staff here. Um, she's coached at, at, at a couple of universities already. Um, very smart. Thinks the game well. So we've we've got a we've got a good little staff here right now with a lot of different experience around the world and in baseball and softball. So um, yeah, we're um, we're getting after it. Fantastic, and it's great to hear. She's a good person too, Kaylee. I think that's kind of the thing that struck me the most with her. Mm. Uh, and when I heard she was uh, hooking up with your guys' organisation, I was like, man, that's it's going to be a lot of fun. I did teach her how to say Kyoto. I don't know if she's got it down pack still. I'll um I'll ask her tomorrow. I I did mention to her before I came on here that. I'm uh, I'll be I'm chatting with the you know beyond the dugout boys here in a minute and that she'd already chatted you know yeah. she was one of the earlier ones I believe uh, yeah. like when you, sure you guys sort of first got going yeah. so yep we're um we'll, we'll compare notes tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> she was fantastic and of course Great. as you mentioned Trev an amazing career such a long career for Kelly Rafter and to get to go back to the Olympics uh, just so proud of, of of her and what they were able to do as a nation as well. Picking up their yes. bronze medal, very, very, uh, very special moment. Trev, another question from one of our other viewers is, do you have uh, an aspiration to coach internationally? Good segue there, mate. 
Um, to be honest, with the young family right now, uh, it's not not something at the top of my list. And I, I know if I was to coach internationally, to be able to do it potentially from my location, which is in a different country, to maybe a national team that I would like to coach, or I think it'd be very difficult to do. Yeah. So um, I've I do enjoy the international game um, from from when we when we toured. Uh, I, I love you know playing against uh, international teams when they tour over here, and obviously in the pro league, I coached a couple of years over here, and we we saw a lot of players from. Uh, you know, obviously Canada, there were Mexico players. Um, mm-hmm. The Czech Republic was out here. Uh, China had teams out this way. So um, I do enjoy the international game. I I mean, I remember games with the Black Sox against like the Bahamas yeah. and Israel. And yeah. like you just, it's, softball's such a such a great game. And, and to see the um, different countries play it and the flair that they bring and, you know, what they do in the dugout or how they celebrate or what uniforms they wear. I, I love the international game and I would love to coach it, but I'd, I'd find it very difficult to um, to do and give 100% being in a different place. Fair enough, fair enough. What other, just last question on coaching, that win in 2018, you played Washington in the final. Wasn't that the year, uh, you're, you're obviously with Florida and Mike Roberts was with Washington that year? Was that the year? Uh, I think he was with Washington uh, just a year or two before that. Ah, but right, okay. um, yeah, you could definitely tell that there was, um, you know, the way a lot of those girls pitched had his hand on them, you know, like you can tell uh, when a girl comes up through the ranks, if she, who she's been coached by, because a lot of times you'll see if she's had a male influence in her pitching, she'll be a risable drop ball girl. Yeah. Whereas if she hasn't, she'll be more a curveball, screwball type of girl. So obviously the men try to miss the bat on this plane, like miss it up and miss it down. Mm. Whereas a lot of time the girls will try and like stay on the same plane, just go in and out with the curve screw. So gotcha. yeah, whenever you see, whenever I'm out and I see a, a true drop ball followed by a rise ball, it's like, okay, I need I need to check this girl out. Let's <laughs> <laughs> find out the backstory. Uh, hey, the, uh, I guess uh, the other part is it's great to see so many Kiwis uh, doing really well on the coaching side of things. Obviously, uh, Mike White, uh, your teammate from uh, from Middle of Michigan, in that World Cup campaign, perfect game for him there. Uh, obviously coaching a perfect game these days as well over there. We're obviously mentioned Mike, I think Steve Meredith, Jeremy Manley. Uh, it's great to see a few Kiwis sped it around that college system yeah definitely um i mean i know they're all in the same boat as me to be able to you know to, to be involved with the game and 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 you know make a living doing it i i know that they're just just like me very thankful for the opportunity and um just realized that the the collegiate system over here and all sports is fantastic it's it's obviously all based off your college football like if you can sell out you know our stadium just over here next to me eighty thousand seats for a, you know, for a university sporting event, yeah, and then the money, the money that that generates, then allows a program like softball mm. to be in existence because um, the, the funding filters down. Nice, and and the reason the reason that that happens is like, I think it was nine in the nineteen seventies. Title Nine was introduced, so for every scholarship you have to give a male athlete, you have to give one to a female. So if you're going to have seventy five guys on scholarship on your football team, you then need to have seventy five scattered on the female side. So hello, let me, I need a volleyball team. Yeah. I need a softball team. I need a woman's soccer team. I need a woman's tennis team. So because of, th- because of that and that, that 
passing of that law has allowed um, women's athletics to grow. It's allowed me to be able to coach it. Like I'm, I'm very thankful that um, it's not just so male dominated sports here with your, with your college basketball, mm, mm. your college baseball, your college football, you know, you're now seeing softball have the opportunity to be, to be on TV in New Zealand. Yeah. I mean, come on now, there's a college softball game yeah. on TV in New Zealand. Like yeah. 20 years ago, that wouldn't, there's no, you wouldn't have dreamed of that happening. And now well. there's 3 million people watching on TV in the U S not counting how many people in New Zealand yeah. are, mm. are watching at the same time too, you know? No, nah, it, it is it is it is pretty cool, isn't it? And it's great to see the rise uh, of the game, mate. And and yeah, and having having a few Kiwis involved, it makes it so much better for us too, Absolutely. right? And like last year's College World Series, man, the whole nation was rooting for you for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Felt it. Was, appreciate it, guys. Pretty 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 darn cool. Pretty darn cool. This year, how does the team go? Okay, we just uh, we're about a month into um, into training, obviously. You know, I mentioned a little bit earlier, our season runs February, and then if we get to the World Series, it finishes uh, first week of June. And But what what's funny is, like, that's not just our season. Like, the, in the fall right now, we'll have uh, we'll have our players from the first week of September ver- through, the, through the end of November. So we get, you know, 13, 14, 15 weeks to practice with them. Uh, we get to play a few exhibition games, um, figure out what we got, and then our season starts in February. So... You know, you know, back home, you know, the softball season is yeah. the softball season. Like over here, yeah, no, the softball season is twelve months a year. So, nice. um, very fortunate for that. Very cool, very cool. Actually, hey, one more question. I know what the athletes go through from a daily routine because we've spoken to a few athletes. What's a daily routine for a coach in college ball? Yeah. So right now, um, drop the kids at school just before eight o'clock. I'll come into the office. Um, get here about eight fifteen, eight thirty. And um, I am currently working on that said degree that I didn't have when I first hey, got this job. So nice, nice. I will, I will, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm getting there. Hopefully, two more years, I'll be, I'll, I'll have my four year degree done part time. So I'm looking forward to that day. But anyway, I will do that. That's me from eight thirty to ten in the morning. Um, I'll knock out hour and a half of my studies, get my assignments, papers done, and all that. And then ten o'clock, that's when our meetings start up. We start getting ready for the day. We'll practice plan. We'll talk recruiting. Um, we will get everything lined up and then lunchtime. And then pretty much after that, I'm off to the cages. We'll start getting players in um, after their classes, sort of from 12 to 2. We'll be in the cages. We'll have the machines set up. we have the music on. They'll be getting after it in there, working on their game. Then roughly around 2.30, the team practice will start. The team will roll in and then uh, practice full on will start from like 3 to 5. And uh, we'll get after it. We'll we'll be learning the game. We'll be taking BP. We'll be running the bases, doing defense, all of that. And then five o'clock, um, we'll sort of finish wrap up. I'll get home just in time for dinner and spend some time with the kids, and then do it all again the next day. Locked yeah. in. No wonder yeah. you're doing so well over there, my friend, and your organisation is doing so well, Travis, mate. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us on um, Beyond the Dugout. I wasn't kidding when I said uh, eagle, easily mm. on New Zealand's elite ballers that's just got such a diverse um, range of experiences in so many different types of elite sport uh, that you've had through your career. We didn't even touch on being the fielding coach for the cricket New Zealand cricket team. I mean, dude, you've done so much. It's been a true, true pleasure and a true treat. So, yeah, thanks a lot, bud. Yeah, I want to thank you guys too for uh, 
you know, growing the game yourselves. I, you guys go worldwide with these podcasts. You've got uh, some pretty cool stories. I've, I personally have enjoyed listening to them. Um, I know they can't be easy to try and line all these people up in different countries and different time zones. And, and uh, no, thanks to you guys for what you're doing for the game because, um, you know, it, it, we, I think all three of us know how special this game is to us and has been to us in our lives. And you guys are just continue to grow it. Um, you're too good, club men, and uh, appreciate everything you do for the game. Thank you, Travis, mate. Um, as you said, it was uh, lining up. We've been going back and forth trying to uh, lock in, lock in the state. And mate, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, share your story and, and sit down. And um, yeah, it's just been awesome, mate. Thank you. Fantastic. Thanks, L- last one, Trev. <laughs> Mike brought his team out one year to tour New Zealand. Is there a chance for Florida State to come to New Zealand? Yeah, I've thrown that out there to the boss a couple <laughs> nice, of times. Nice. Um, yeah, I would love to to bring my girls over to New Zealand and, and experience the culture and play some games. Uh, hopefully, you know, there's a there's a time when the New Zealand softball team is building for something uh, special, and they need uh, need to bring a team in for some uh, for some games and, and get them fine tuned for a, for an international event. Uh, I'll put my hand up and we'll uh, we'll do our best to make that happen. Amazing. Can't wait for that moment. Can't wait mm. for that time. Travis Wilson, ladies and gentlemen, two silver rings or medals, one junior, one senior, but a gold medal in 1996 Midland, Michigan. Finishes his Black Sox career with a 361 lifetime betting average. That is a Hall of Fame status for sure. He's nominated to the Hall of Fame in the ICs. He's played seven seasons of professional baseball with the Atlanta Braves. Just chuck on top of that, 11 seasons in college World Series softball with Florida State, including the big one in 2018. Travis Wilson, a true legend of our sport, thank you so much for your time. So, Travis Wilson, how good, man, how good. It was awesome to sit down, get to know him, get to know some, some stories about him, and first time he's ever done it, which is pretty special, so... Yeah, no, one one to be uh, celebrating for sure. What a career, man. And we didn't even get to talk about uh, him taking the field with the Black Caps when he was a trainer. Yeah, we, we had it down. Yeah. We were going to talk about it, but it's been um, it's been confirmed now that he yeah. actually did do some fielding for the Black Caps. That's crazy. Base and reserve, apparently. Yeah. Interesting thing for me was listening to him talk about his mindset around each of the codes. So with the Black Sox and learning the team culture and buying into that, then switching to baseball and against every, like as you were saying, there would be a hundred of him yeah. at, uh, at spring training that he's got to compete against. And he had to go into self mode. Yeah. It's about me now. What what can I get? Type yeah, thing. crazy. And then coming out of that, coming back to softball, going back to team. Now, as he mentioned, his thoughts around the game and the athletes and his college team how he cares about them genuinely yeah well, what a ride emotionally for yeah well you, you, you'd learn about a lot about yourself during that during that roller coaster for sure putting yourself first and then putting others first and then putting yourself first again it's yeah it's a cra- crazy thing to do but I think through all those and he admitted himself you know the person that he is now is is because of all those journeys all those learnings and he's he's pretty happy where he's at at uh, this point in his life for sure one of the other things dude that really sticks out in my mind and we talked about this a lot of the time about how um, the Christchurch ballers are great thinkers <laughs> in the game and you, all the way through his whole career he's thought about it 
he's thought, this is what I need to do. Uh, I, I need to make make this type of player or take his baseball after a while. I need to beef up to get more home runs or whatever the case That's is right. or be more athletic or whatever. But he definitely a student of the game. Well, that's how people become elite, don't they? They make a goal, they uh, work towards it, and they achieve it, and they keep on putting another goal in front of that goal, and, and what's next, and how, how can I work towards it? And and that's why he's uh, in a position that he is now. Interesting, too, 2018, they win the College World Series, uh, do Florida State. Travis Wilson doesn't even get one mentioned, he's on the coaching <laughs> staff the whole time, but this last one... They come second, but man, he has highlighted so much yeah. because I think they finally understood how important he is to that coaching um, team. Yeah, we all do. We the like well, we know here as a country we got right behind him. But um, yeah, no, it was really cool to see all those mentions and uh, for him to laugh about it and all the work he did a couple of years ago. No, very cool. Awesome. Uh, next week, uh, looking to bring in a, in a Manawahine. Uh, onto the podcast next week so just working on that now looking to get it tidied off we'll announce that one through social media excellent excellent fantastic dude joining us in the wrap up is uh, Wally's son Zah and my son JP they uh, both have been Braves crazy the last week boys winning the World Series how good good ass <laughs> Dude, what was dad like, man? Was he jumping around the lounge and high fives all over the place or what? Yeah, but we all knew it was going to happen anyway. Oh, the confidence. When the Dodgers were going, it was over. (laughs) Fair fair enough, fair enough. He caught us on a bad week. But but to be fair, man, they they, they deserve it, man. They played outstanding, right? Yeah. Dude, how good's the chop? Too, Too good. How does it go? (laughs) Oh. <laughs> was that it? No, like the tomahawk chop or whatever. Oh. Was that? You know that you were doing at Calhoun while they were playing uh, the Dodgers in front of your father last weekend. Zaz the best of the chops. So. Is he? Let him learn do it himself. So chops got a chop. Yeah, it's pretty good at chop. Nickname yeah. chop. Yeah. Owns the chop. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. That it's is got a bloody good jacket. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> It's like brother. It is indeed. Hey, thank you so much for joining us here on Beyond the Dugout. Episode 13 in the can, in the book, all yours now. Hope you enjoyed it, Travis Wilson. What a treat. We'll see you all next week. It's been our complete pleasure on behalf of Damien Collins. I've been Jason Goobies, a.k.a. Chopper. Kakite ano. Oh, oh, oh. Leave me hanging now. See you, guys. Shame Astros. <laughs> Be on the dugout. Lace them up and we run out. Step up to the place, swing away, or you get struck out. Picture on the mound like you don't want to face this. Hit it so hard, you be running around the bases. Do it for your teammates, do it for the fan. Do it for your city, true ballers understand. You gotta work together, you gotta find a way. Put your body on the line and make that play. Be on the dugout. Lace them up and we run out. Step up to the place, swing away, or you get struck out. Picture on the mound like you don't want to face this. Hit it so hard, you be running around the bases. Be on the dugout. Beyond the dugout. Beyond the dugout. Beyond the dugout.